Okay, good morning, everybody. Hi, Steve. There we go. Yeah. That's good. Hi, Steve. Okay, so our journey continues. Here we go. So, uh, COVID 19, right, is continuing to alter the landscape as we know it. As a matter of fact, things seem to be changing on a daily basis, right? It's just um, going around. So, I've been in close conversation um, with many of the pastors in the Mill Creek area and in prayer and conversation also with our board we've been praying uh, and then also the staff will be uh, praying a meeting again Monday night and just trying to stay on top of the situation so here's the stuff we're doing um, that we're trying to put in place so from our conversations and what I've picked up uh, among the guys is that and I've got some kind of hum John can you thank you sir um Trying to stay on top of the situation, uh, this, this is the following stuff we're doing. So uh, from our conversations, we believe there's probably going to be more restrictions put in place in the next two weeks. Uh, as uh, Israel has closed their borders, Spain has shut the country down. We rumors that Mexico and Canada are going to close the borders and there will be more following here. So we are preparing right now to go online with messages as of next Sunday. Um, we don't know that we will, but as Rob said, there's a hope we can keep going. But uh, there's the other side of the equation that uh, the church gets perceived wrong also in terms of you aren't willing to help the community and you aren't interested in helping our values, right? And so there's a fine line there and we want to be able to cooperate. So um, we're looking at it. We will put a, a word out. Uh, we've agreed as a board to kind of hold it loosely. We'll let you know by Wednesday what we're going to do, and we'll adjust and flex from there. Um, we're also uh, planning to be proactive in, in how to continue with worship, youth, and children's. Kayla is kind of a leader in this. She did, if those of you had kids in Awana and saw the online Awana stuff she did, to just kill her good. And uh, we're not as cute or as creative as she is, but we will try, right, to, to do some things together there and uh, keep that going. Um, as Rob said, we'll make calls. We'll send out word about different events. That's all. You could tell there's a hitch in his voice. It's all in the hopper right now, right? So we're trying to figure it out. Um, you know, so let's do our part in social distancing. You know, right? Elbow bump, foot tap, right? Air hug kind of thing. And uh, we've been doing that this morning. Um, and here's why. Because we don't know who has it and who doesn't, right? And so... We don't want to be one of those core places that it pops out in that um, for there. So they will make a poster child out of somebody, right? We don't want to be that poster child. Um, we're going to encourage community groups. We, we've got community groups. And, uh, uh, you know, really we want to encourage and energize our community groups. They were designed and planned for such a time as this. And so, <clears throat> you know, that's a, a fantastic deal right there. And we'll encourage new groups to form. Uh, one of the groups has already reached out to us and offered to bring supplies and groceries to our elderly or um, housebound members that can't get out. So there's some, some great stuff happening there. That's kind of the spirit we're looking for. I'll also work at communicating on a regular basis um, with short devotionals and words of encouragement from the Lord. And needless to say, it's a great time for prayer. Right, and uh, that's a huge part of it. I, I was just disheartened and greatly saddened during uh, President Trump's <coughs> national emergency broadcast that there was no mention at all of 
seeking God or um, God's help or even divine providence, right? That's the, the way it used to be played out. And call for the American people to pray. And then I was greatly encouraged the next day when Vice President Pence did make that call to the nation. And then President Trump made today the National Day of Prayer uh, for people to pray. So I see now that they parsed it out and uh, that was good. So I'm deeply concerned as a nation that we have forgotten not only how to pray, but how to repent and seek God's forgiveness. We don't even act like He's there as a nation anymore. Many think the government will fix it. It won't. Just go on record with that. Many (coughs) think that uh, science will fix it. It won't. It may have been science that created it, right? And many think business will fix it. It won't. So let's make sure that we as a believing community are not indifferent either, right? And... uh, fail to seek him as well. This is a great time for us to be in prayer as a community. On the good side, all right? On the good side. Here's the good side. Jesus has us covered. You heard me say that before? Jesus has us covered. Nothing catches him by surprise or has caught him by surprise in this whole thing. You need to keep that preeminent in your thoughts. And Jesus is so great and Jesus is so awesome and so capable that he will take things meant for evil, which I truly believe this is, and, and I don't think we know the true story on the whole thing yet, but he will take it, which was meant for evil, and he'll turn it for good. And, uh, and so let's keep our eyes and ears open for God's opportunity as this progresses, right? Because I found that people are, I'm finding an astounding difference in conversations with people uh, during the week, um, which is really encouraging for me. And an ability to share on a level that I haven't been able to since I've come to the Northwest. Okay? Uh, let me just give you two quick stories. So this week, uh, Phil Wagner and I went for lunch out in the town center. Uh, used to be, uh, not twisted, toasted. It used to be toasted, now it's northern something or another. But anyways, so the waitress came up and I asked her, I said, hey, how, how are you doing with the whole coronavirus thing? And her waitress mask went off really quick and you could see the anxiety in her eyes and she said, man, I'm, I'm really concerned. And I said, well, tell me why. And she said, well, you know, our business has taken a huge hit. I'm not sure I'm going to get shifts. And uh, my husband works, but he works, he's a sound engineer. And she made it sound like he either worked for Key Arena or one of the stadiums, right? So all those events have been canceled. And she said, so he's out of work, and, and I'm not sure how long how long will work. And we, we don't have any health insurance. And you could see the terror in her eyes as, as she did that. And I said, well, I, I understand. I'm a pastor in a church. And usually that's the deal killer right there, right? And she was like, oh, then you'd understand. I said, yes, I would. So when later she came back with the check, I said, may I ask your name? And she said, yeah, my name's Rachel. I said, Rachel, what's your husband's name? I said, my husband's name's Val. I said, well, Rachel, not to sound weird or anything, but if it would find favor with you, our church, our church is, so we're right here. I said, you know where Elevated Sports is? Oh, yeah, we've taken kids. I said, we're that church right across the alley. Oh, okay. So I said, but we, we pray for people. Would it be all right if I took your name and your husband's name and put it on our prayer list? We pray every Sunday before the services. We pray every Monday with the staff, and we pray every other Monday with the board. Would that, would that be something you'd like? She goes, that? would be wonderful. And you could see instant relief come into her eyes. And she came back later and said, thank you so much. So then later in the week, we met on Thursday with the Mill Creek uh, Network 
gang. That's the other churches and great group of guys sat around, you know, what's going on and kind of stuff. And uh, Chris Mangianelli had been in Israel. He's the pastor of Mill Creek Foursquare. Wonderful guy. And uh, he, he had been in Israel and they were going to detain him and his group, but they let him through and it turned out he was the last group they let through and then Israel closed their borders. And uh, the, he had talked to a pastor from Alabama and their group and uh, they had crossed on the tours and he had talked to him. And that pastor, they got quarantined for seven days and they ended up being quarantined and then the borders closed so they couldn't actually get home. So you can imagine some of the circumstances are going on. So we're talking about this around the table. Well, the gal was really nice. I got there early. She set everything up, waters and you know the whole thing. And so I went later and I, I gave her a tip and I said, hey, this is for you. Thank you. And uh, and I forget exactly how the conversation went, but I ended up telling her the story of this other waitress, right? And I got about halfway through. She said, oh, would you pray for me too? And I said, sure, why? And she said, well, my mom lives with us. And my mom's 72. And she says, I'm living in mortal fear that I will bring something home from here and kill her. And she said, I'm terrified. Would you, would you pray? I said, we most certainly will. I said, what's your mom's name? She says, my mom's name is Denise. Her name is Teresa. I said, Teresa, we will pray for your mom, Denise, this week. So this morning upstairs, we prayed for uh, Rachel and Val. And we prayed for... Um, Teresa and Denise, and we prayed for a gal uh, that John Templin and, and, and Jan ran into at McMinimins who was sharing. He had the same kind of questions. And so we'll give you three stories this morning. And uh, she said, yeah, I have a, a, a high-need son and uh, uh, I, I'm working. My shifts are falling off. I'm a single mom. I, I don't know how we're going to make it. And so uh, John said that he would pray for her as well. So there's something happening, and so keep your eyes open. Those conversations wouldn't have happened a month ago, all right? They just wouldn't have. And I believe it, it, that we've, a lot of us have been praying for revival for this area for a long time, right? And I believe it can pop and happen. So uh, I just want to encourage you again. Uh, we prayed for them this morning. And just what would it take for you to have that kind of simple conversation, just checking in with your neighbors Hey, are you doing okay with this? And are, are you, do you need anything? And, you know, our church prays for people. Is there anything you'd want prayer for? And I, I think you'll be astounded the kind of conversations you'll get into in the next month or so. So let's pray again this morning, all right? Father, we lift these people up to you. They are real people, very gracious people, probably don't know you. Or if they knew you, they may have walked away a long time ago. We don't know. But Lord, uh, they, there's a sense of desperation in them. There's a sense of desperation in our country. We know the source of peace. We know the source of contentment. We know the source of confidence. And that's You, Father. And so we, we're asking this morning as we try to make wise decisions, lead us well. And then we also pray, Lord, for people that they will turn, that You will break this ruthless, independent, I don't need God spirit in the Northwest and turn it around for good that many, many would come to know you. Our, our great concern is with all the schools being let out and, and kids uh, being able to do whatever they want to and being on the Internet and the kind of uh, evil that could take place. And then, Lord, 
someone pointed out very well, lots of people plan for evil in events like this. We would seek you to intervene in that. And we ask for your help, not only for that, but as we go through the Word this morning, Lord, bring it to life in your name. Amen. All right, so we're in the Gospel of Mark. Grab your Bibles, your phone, whatever. We'll pick up the story where we left off last week. Last week we found Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus had been in prayer. We said that he was in agony in this wrestling match with the Father that the sweat on his brow was like drops of blood when it fell to the ground. So enormous coming to awareness moment of having agreed to something and now fully bearing the weight of it. And it was crushing. And so... um, Literally, at this point, the weight of the world, or the weight of the sin of the world, is on Jesus' shoulders. And he comes back and finds his disciples sleeping, right? The point becomes mute because the armband has just arrived at night, and this is where we uh, left off last week. He came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. As we mentioned last week, they were astonished, this being the disciples. They were astonished and confused because when they looked at the band, the person leading that whole thing was Judas. And we think that they must have had a clue. They didn't. You read all the Gospel accounts, they were floored that it was Judas who betrayed them. When Jesus said his betrayer is at hand, they, they didn't even suspect him. Right? There's one word you can use for this scene that you see on the screen right here. T-E-N-S-I-O-N. Tension. Right? You ever have one of those adrenaline hits where it's suddenly, whoa, you know, what do we do? And uh, the disciples are reeling. They're trying to comprehend what the heck is happening. What's going on here? Uh, Judas being there confuses them. The mob being there terrifies them. It doesn't take much to realize they are armed and that they mean business. And then it says this, one of Mark's favorite words in the Gospel, and immediately, right, we've seen that word many times before, immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. So this is no motley crew or kind of just thrown together uh, band. This, is, this one has authority. Uh, they are official representatives from the chief priests and the elders, and they would have been very identifiable by the apparel they were wearing. Right? That was a very uh, structured culture and society, and if you were part of the chief priests or you were part of the temple guard, you wore uh, certain uniforms. And so they would have instantly recognized who those dudes were. So they would have known, uh uh-oh, this is is business. This is real. And um, sleep has fled, adrenaline's pumping. Right? You ever had one of those? Right? You're just lit up. And that's what's happening then. Mark's rendition doesn't tell us what Jesus' emotional state is during this uh, or how he was feeling internally. But there's another place in Scripture that does. Right? Uh, Turn to Psalm 55. If you turn to Psalm 55... And you start with verse 12. It reads like this. I'll put it up on the screen as well. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, but then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, 
Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house as we walked in the throng. The person causing the pain is not an enemy because the verses say, well, then I could bear that, nor an adversary, somebody who was contending with them. Then I could hide from that. But rather it's a beloved friend, an equal, described here as a companion. They shared sweet fellowship together when they walked in the temple. This is what we've seen so many times in Scripture, what's known as a telescoping prophecy. We've seen this before. In this case, the psalmist is calling to mind a situation probably like King David faced with Absalom. If you remember that story, Absalom mutinied against uh, his father and tried to steal the kingdom away from him. And now it telescopes forward to this moment. Judas, one of the twelve, who walked and talked with Jesus for three years, is now turning on him the same way Absalom turned on his father David. The end of Psalm 55 is interesting. No, if you're looking there, just go down to the end. It says, Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave, for evil finds lodging among them. The Expositor's Bible Commentary points out that the prayer of the psalmist here, if you track back to where that comes from, uh, is that the Lord will remove them from the land of the living and bring down in their physical vigor, in other words, literally bring them down alive into Sheol, the grave. And so it's the picture is referring back to number 16 and the earth swallowing alive, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Remember when they opposed Moses and Moses said, get away from those evil men and the ground swallowed them up? That's where the psalmist is saying here, for evil finds lodging in them. It says that Satan entered Judas and, and took him over. It's the same kind of language. In line with that, the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came up, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Okay. Again, the commentary brings a lot of great stuff out on this. Uh, this was probably a prearranged signal of Judas kissing Jesus, which suggests that Jesus was not really known to these guys that came up. Uh, they, that they had to make sure who he was, and so the kiss was going to identify the right person. Rabbis customarily were greeted by their students with a kiss. So this wouldn't have been something unfamiliar to them or unknown to them. It would have been... Uh, even seen as appropriate. Mark does not record it, but the other Gospels, Jesus is recorded as saying, Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? I wonder what that sounded like to him. And I wonder what it looked like when he looked in Jesus' eyes when he said that. I guess we probably won't know that for a while, right? It was the sign of ultimate betrayal. Judas has been vilified through history. As I said before, nobody names their kid Judas. Right? There's a reason. Again, notice how Jesus seems to be in charge of the moment. It doesn't seem like they're in charge of it. It seems like Jesus is in charge of it. And that's because he is. Again, in the other Gospels, 
he asks them who they're looking for, and they step back and kneel, and they say, Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, well, I'm, I'm the guy. Let these, let these go. And he did that so he could fulfill the scriptures. Uh, and you can tell they're nervous, right? Having heard the stories, they knew all about the miracles that Jesus had done. They weren't sure what was going to happen when they grabbed him. Right? Like, were they all going to get struck dead? Like with Elijah the prophet? Would, they, you know, would Jesus start glowing and you know, disappear? Would, they had no idea. They were plenty nervous. And so they were trepid in the stories. Mark's version is much more succinct. He simply says this. And they laid hands on him and they seized him. It was a desperate moment. How do we know? Because this follows. But one who stood... I'm off here. Hang on. Back up. Where to go? There we go. It says, One who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Uh, This is a famous story, right? Uh, From John's Gospel, we know that was who? Peter. right? And the servant's ear's name was? Malchus. Right? And that story is pretty familiar. Mark discreetly keeps Peter's name out of it. Why? Who's, who's he, whose stories are he writing down? Peter's. Right? right? It's a telltale sign of him serving under Peter and the one who recorded this gospel. So it's a telltale sign that Peter and Mark had a relationship and Mark just kept that out of the, conveniently out of the script. John, not so much. Yeah, it was Peter. <laughs> okay. Peter, but here's the thing. Peter had vowed. What did he say? I will die with you. Peter vowed and Peter was going to go, Peter was going to act. Even if he was vastly outnumbered, Peter didn't care. He was going to go down. If he was going down, he was going down swinging. Right? Literally. And so Peter grabs the sword and he whacks and attacks and he starts off. And then it says this. Jesus says, have you come out against a robber or with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. There's several layers of scripture here that uh, Jesus could be referring to. Uh, the scriptures could, the ones he could be talking about, the ones referring to the Messiah and the death that he would die, or the scriptures referring to the injustice of the whole thing. If you read Isaiah 53 uh, and several other passages like that, that would tune you into that. Uh, most think, though, it's Zechariah's prediction the shepherd would be struck and all the sheep would flee, is the most likely one he's talking about. Uh, Jesus here, though, is pointing out their illegitimate. In their illegalness of what they're doing. Hey, I was in the temple every day. I taught for how long? You could have nabbed me. Why at night? Why in the dark? Why, right? And he's pointing, he's pointing out the injustice of what they were doing. Then we see this. And they all left him and they fled. Shaken, shattered, off balance, and out of sync, the disciples flee. They bolt. They will never be the same, and like us, will need the grace of God to bring them through and back to what they were called to do. You ever had God do that? You ever fail in an original call? You ever fail in a mission that God gave you? Ever fail to say yes when you should have? 
or know when you shouldn't have. And you're all messed up. And now, uh, well, I guess it's over for me. And then by grace, what does God do? Brings you all the way back around, right? That's what's going to happen with the disciples. We'll find that uh, in the end of the Gospels and in the book of Acts. But it definitely would not be a straight line. But they would eventually change the world. But not tonight. Tonight they would all fail miserably. I actually take great encouragement from this. If there was hope for them, then there's hope for us. Right? If they could botch it that bad and God could still use them, there's hope for us people. Okay? And God knows how to bring us around too. Uh, And then there's this most curious inclusion in the story. It says this, And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And when they seized, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Right? Most Bible commentators believe this is none other than who? John Mark himself. Who else would know that he'd been in the garden following Jesus? And you're going, how? Why, why was John Mark there? We'll get to there in a second. All right? But let's just look real quickly at who John Mark was again. We, we did this in the beginning, but let's just go through this again. Uh, many believe that he was the rich young ruler. And it shows up in this story. Because normally if someone was wearing a tunic, it would be made out of wool. He was wearing a linen one, which signifies wealth. Only the wealthy wore linen. And so it says they grabbed his linen tunic and he ran away naked. Um, <clears throat> and so he is the young man in the garden. Uh, so he also fled like the disciples, so strike one against him. Then later we find out that he is an assistant to Paul and Barnabas. And, uh, and we also know that he bombed on his first assignment. Right? He got three quarters of the way through, bolted and went back home. Strike two against John Mark. Paul and Barnabas go on a second journey and uh, Barnabas wants to take John Mark again. Paul doesn't. So Barnabas takes John Mark. Paul takes Silas. And uh, have you ever asked yourself why Barnabas was so loyal to John Mark? Right? Like, why did he stick with him? What was, there just seemed to be this overarching, I've got to help this kid through kind of thing, right? Well, there's a reason for that. Barnabas was his uncle. Did you know that? That's Uncle Barney. (laughs) Taking care of his rascal nephew and keeping him under his wing. Comes full circle. John Mark doesn't bomb out. John Mark actually makes it through. John Mark becomes very valuable in the inner circle of the early disciples. John Mark finds himself not in Jerusalem anymore, but all the way in Rome. And he becomes Peter's assistant, Peter's scribe. And in Peter's uh, giving sermons, as Peter gave sermons, Mark wrote them down, and we now have them as what? The Gospel of Mark. Not only that, but he did so well that later on Paul says in his epistles, and send to me Mark, because he's useful for me. So we find John Mark coming all the way back around, all the way through, despite two strikes against him. Uh, His path was not a straight one, but he made it. 
Have you ever thought about what it was that helped him to make it? Now certainly Barnabas, right, having a cool uncle would help. But there was something much more important than that. Uh, Something that really provided the background for his kicking through his failures and staying with it. You know what it was? Here's what it was. He had a godly and praying mom. Did you know that? Huh, who was his mom? John Mark's mom, his mother, was Mary. Now, this is going to have massive confusion, right? Because there's lots of Marys in the Gospel story. So there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. That's one Mary. And then there's Mary Magdalene. That's the Mary who followed Jesus and, and seven demons were cast out of her. That's another Mary. Then there's uh, Mary, who was Martha and Lazarus's brother and sister, right? So that's another Mary. And then there's this Mary. Well, who's this Mary? Well, we find out she was one of the early women who followed Jesus, and she was wealthy. And she actually helped contribute to Jesus' ministry and gave money in the collections that helped sustain as Jesus went on his itinerant ministry throughout uh, Israel. And uh, this is actually the very same purse from which Judas stole. Right? There's a lot of overlaps here. So this Mary is one of the early... um, Disciples of Jesus. And, uh, and she also had a large house in Jerusalem. And this is a very important house in some of the stories that you know about in the New Testament. Uh, a couple places where it shows up is this is the, the meeting, one of the meeting places for the early church. And this is where they were gathered in prayer together. And that Holy Spirit fell on them as tongues of fire. And that first big outbreak, it was known as Pentecost, happened at her house. And then after that, if you go to Acts chapter 12, this is the very same house that Peter fled to. Remember, Peter was put in jail by Herod, and the angel came and hit him and said, get up. And Peter thought he was in a dream, but they got out to the gates, and, and the angel disappeared, and Peter's saying like, uh, now what? So what's the first thing he does? He runs to Mary's house, knocks on the door. Rhoda, the servant girl, comes to the door, looks, ah, it's Peter, shuts the door, leaves Peter at the door, runs back and said, Peter's at the door. You're crazy. Peter's in jail. Peter can't be at the door, right? And finally they go, there's Peter standing. I I wonder if Peter was laughing, right? (laughs) That had to be pretty funny. When you think about it, hi, it's you, you know? And they come in and then Peter tells the whole story of how God freed him and, and left and went on to do other things. Well, that's that very same house. This Mary was a praying mom. And I firmly believe that one of the reasons John Mark makes it, despite his blowouts, is that he had a praying mom who never quit praying for her son. Moms take a clue from Mary. Okay? Don't ever stop praying for your children. Dads, we carry a different kind of power. I won't leave you out. Okay? We carry a different kind of power. Um, moms is that sustaining, right, keep them in the bosom of Jesus kind of prayer. Ours is we either have the power to bless or curse. Uh, so many of us grew up with dads that did not bless us. We did not grow up with a blessing. 
we have felt insecure all our lives because we don't know what it's like to really be blessed. We have the power to bless or curse. And we have to be very careful that we leave our children with a blessing and that they know that. But moms here, they're talking about John Mark, one of the great characters in the New Testament. I believe made it because he had a praying mom. Mom, don't ever stop. Do you think that was just a two-year stint that she had to pray for her boy? It sounds like she had to pray for him from the time he went up to Jesus and said, hey, good teacher, what must I do? Well, go sell all your stuff and come follow me and you'll have riches in the treasure of heaven. And it says what? He walked away sad. Why? Because he had a lot of wealth. Mary probably started praying for him right there. And she kept on through. And we don't know how long, but I'll bet you she prayed till the day she died for her boy. Too many of us quit too soon. We say, this, this kid, this circumstance, his attitude, his problems, his learning disabilities, yada, yada, yada. Right? We quit too soon. It got hard. It got difficult. Nothing happened, so I quit. Can I just encourage you this morning to take a cue from Mary and pray for your kids. Don't give up. The story's not written yet. Is your kid's line not a straight line? That's okay. John Marks wasn't either. Okay. Matter of fact, that's a stupid question to ask because none of our stories are a straight line. Duh. Hello. Right? So... We hold tremendous power to think about, especially right now, as we may have to meet in different ways. By the way, we've always said the church is not the box, right? We've got a fantastic opportunity to prove that, right? So let's be the church, and let's pray, and let's let God give us assignments, and let's do what God has asked us to do, and see if something won't pop in this area that's never popped before. I believe people are going to get really, really desperate in the next three weeks. I mean, like we haven't seen since the Great Depression. Okay? The last downturn, we said, oh, it's like the Great Depression. That's baloney. If you've read any stories about the Great Depression, it was absolutely terrifying. People lived on railroad tracks and camps, cooking shoes and pots, and that's what they ate. Okay? We've never seen anything like that. We might just with this. So church, let's be a praying church. Let's take a cue from Mary and follow through with prayer. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for that story. Chokes me up. Powerful, powerful stuff. Lord, encourage moms who are discouraged about their kids. Help them. Help them to lean in and keep praying. Help them to not give up. Lord, as dads, help us be careful with our tongues. Lord, especially those of us who got saved by you in our grace, let us not then curse our sons and and make them feel not blessed just because we have a bad attitude. Lord, we seek you that in this moment of history, right here, right now, what I like about it, it's immediate. Work, Lord Jesus, work. Help us to pray, break out. Lord, may you do something that will stun this country, and we give that to you with great hope in your name. Amen.